Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent his messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Sumerians to prevent his arrival. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts the hand of the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's a beautiful image of where we're headed this morning from Luke 9, verses 51 through 62. I appreciate Maria reading it so well and drawing us into this story of Jesus' turning toward Jerusalem. So where, I want to start with a question for you, where is the, the most interesting, maybe the weirdest place you've ever overheard someone sharing the gospel? I have a short list, most of which aren't decidedly personal. The first I can remember, uh, the most jarring one was as a student at Clemson University, and it was in the student union and just outside one of the main mess halls, cafeterias. And there was an open air um, space, two story. Um, and a, a preacher was standing on the bottom floor, looking up, looking around, being passed by students. And he was proclaiming good news, but not really in a very positive way, if you understand what I mean. Basically, every student that walked by, he was chastising and saying, if you don't turn, it's going to be bad. (laughs) Needless to say, his audience, uh, they might not have been very receptive. His His message was of clear warning, though. I've also run across street preachers, mostly out of the country, some even in small towns that I've lived in, uh, some in the medians of the main street with signs, some with a Bible in hand vocally proclaiming good news, sometimes not proclaiming 
good news as well. But one story is very personal to me. And it, it's, it started in our local grocery store. It was a Piggly Wiggly. I don't know if you even know what a Piggly Wiggly is. It was a setting. Are there Piggly Wigglies in Atlanta? Amen. So the Piggly Wiggly was the setting. It was in central South Carolina. Can you see the polished and white, shiny supermarket floors? My roommate, Steve Owings, and I were shopping for groceries. I know you can't believe that. I was a sophomore uh, at Clemson, and he was a junior, and we had just moved into our first off-campus apartment on Lindsay Road. There are days, years, when Jennifer and I will go back for a game, and we'll drive by and see if that apartment is still standing, and it, it, it is. Uh, he and I had filled our buggy with pre-breaded steak fingers, <laughs> frozen French fries, and canned corn. That was our diet, right? We had a deep fryer. We'd plop those fries in. I mean, I'm, I took years off my life, I know. And I'm sure we were on the cereal aisle. I'll never forget it. I'm sure I was looking for something chocolate, Right? on the cereal aisle, and this man, probably in his mid-40s, walks up to us, almost in a confrontational manner, and asked us if we knew Jesus in the grocery store buying cereal. And um, here I was, minding my own business, trying to find a deal on something chocolate, and he was asking me about my eternal salvation. I guess we look like we needed it. I don't know, but I've always been frustrated by that event. And uh, I was put off in the moment, um, maybe because he thought I looked like I needed it. Um, And as I've contemplated in preparation for this sermon, I realized that maybe the importance of timing is significant here. I realized that the man's timing might have been what frustrated me the most. He didn't even care to ask me what my name was. Um, He was only worried about whether I knew Jesus. And so why is timing so important? In the passage that we're studying this morning, Jesus sets out on his final journey to Jerusalem. Let's think about what precedes this story in Luke 9 a bit. He has warned the disciples of his impending suffering in Jerusalem in verses 21 through 27, and then even in 44 and 45. But even though they confess their faith in him as Messiah earlier in 18 through 20 and see him transfigured with Moses and Elijah, In verses 28 through 36, they have a hard time imagining the horror of the last days of Jesus' life. But Jesus knows. Jesus fully realizes where he is and the journey ahead of him. It says, the scripture says, he set his face toward Jerusalem. This change of direction from Jesus' Galilean ministry, this everyday healing ministry, this preaching ministry, is changing. And he is headed to his Jerusalem mission 
And it's not a whim of the moment. It's not turning the corner of a grocery store aisle, seeing two uh, not-headed teenagers and saying, I think I need to go talk to them. It is intentional. Luke makes clear Jesus' intentionality to go to Jerusalem by using this idiom, set his face in the NRSV. The NIV says, resolutely set out. There's resolution, there's decision, there's intentionality here. Jesus has already predicted that he'll be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, that he's going to be killed, and on the third day that he'll be raised. Jesus will encounter this group of Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, where he's headed. Jesus knows that Jerusalem is the home of his missional death. His death will lead to his exodus or departure as well as his ascension when he'll be taken up. All described in this chapter. The, the Samaritans are mentioned, right? Normally, Jesus, very accepting of Samaritans, shocks his disciples by barely even noticing the Samaritans as he heads to Jerusalem. He's so concentrated on this upcoming move, on his purpose, on his destiny, that he almost misses them all together. And what's their response? It says the Samaritan village di villagers did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Now, did they openly reject Jesus, or did they just not host him overnight since he was already headed somewhere else? The text doesn't really say, but the disciples have a pretty adverse reaction, don't they? What do they ask? James and John says, if, if, we, if we ask, should we just rain fire down on these folks, destroy them, as if they could do it anyway? And there's an editor that adds, even as Elijah did, he's pointing to this story, referring to Elijah calling fire upon the soldiers of the evil king Ahaziah, Ahaziah who had ruled the northern kingdom of Samaria in 2 Kings chapter 1. But Jesus uses the occasion to teach, doesn't he always? To speak about discipleship and the implications of following him. As the text makes clear, Jesus is speaking to those are, who are already following, right? He's not walking grocery store aisles saying, do you know me? He's already got a following and he's instructing them. As he often does, he speaks in hyperbole, in exaggerations, He's emphasizing and making his point here. He's using these examples of burying brother, saying, be willing to let go of the past, of these earthly things that surround you. You bury the dead and you move on. There comes a time when you have to leave the comforts of home to let go of the doorposts and move off into uncharted and unstable waters. You see, it's clear that Jesus has an inkling, an idea of what's headed toward him. 
and that he's inviting his followers to stay the course, to join him all the way to and through this Jerusalem experience. So I've been asking myself in light of this story, what does it mean to know the end is near? He had to have an idea that Jerusalem, he wasn't leaving. There wasn't an exit strategy that was going to be all that appealing. And and so I've been asking myself, what does it mean to know the end is near? How, How would you respond knowing that the end is near? And I don't know about you, but for me, it depends on what's ending, right? There's a big difference between a joyful ending and a tough ending, isn't there? Joyful endings look like finishing a peach tree road race you've prepared for months for, seeing loved ones waiting at the finish line to congratulate you and support your effort and determination. Joyful endings look like high school or college graduations with parties and gifts and new opportunities that await. But tough endings look like having to fly back home from a luxurious and restful vacation. Tough endings look like having to say goodbye to someone we love very much, don't they? Jesus is headed towards what seems in the moment to people who knew and love him like a pretty tough ending. We have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story. But the disciples, how are they to understand in the moment? Jesus knew that he had to head to Calvary and that he was intentional about the way he made that turn. It says it clearly in Scripture. Jesus is resolute. He's not going to turn around. He's surrounded by all of these followers, all these disciples who call themselves his ride-or-die crew. But each of them is saying, yeah, Jesus, I'll go with you, but first, let me take care of these important details, right? But in this moment, there's not, not any room for but first, This kind of but-first kind of thinking. Let me get my ducks in a row before I follow you. This but-first list that we're given seems like a pretty good excused absences list for most people, right? But this kingdom thing is bigger than our wanting to turn around and wait for a minute. I don't know about you, but this is a tough word for me. There aren't celebrations, parades, joyful reunions. When the days draw near for Jesus to be taken up, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Setting your face upon something is a dedicated decision, remember? Setting your face upon something is the call to be disciplined about it. It's a call to discipleship to practice, to action. So, we're met with a decision as well. The decision we're called to make today is whether we we are willing to set our face towards Jerusalem and follow Christ there. The time is now. There's no need to wait. 
transformation needs to happen, and we know it's probably not going to be easy. In his book, The Signature of Jesus, Brennan Manning says, quote, Philosopher William James said, In some people, religion exists as a dull habit. In others, as an acute fever. Manning continues, Jesus did not endure the shame of the cross to hand us a dull habit. If you don't have the fever, dear reader, a passion for God and his Christ, drop this book, fall on your knees, and beg for it. Turn to the God you half believe in and cry out for his baptism of fire. Manning is suggesting setting our face towards Jerusalem. That timing is everything. His book is calling us towards a life of repentance. This quote, a life of repentance and discipleship in light of our baptism, in light of calling ourselves Christ followers. Jesus, who has set his face towards Jerusalem, is alive and at work in each of us this day. If we'll but look up and pay attention. Jesus is calling us towards discipleship in a way that doesn't make time for the busyness of life to get in the way. Jesus has come to set our face toward Jerusalem. Jesus has come to help us with our bitterness. Jesus has come to help us with our greed. Jesus has come to help us with our selfishness. I need a lot of help there. But we all must decide to set our face toward Jerusalem first. So you know what you can find Jesus doing during the most difficult and important moments of his ministry throughout the Gospel of Luke? He is praying. I want to challenge each of us to follow Christ's example, to challenge us to pray this week like never before. I'm looking at myself here as much as any of you. In prayer, we meet Jesus through the Holy Spirit. In prayer, we find the strength to set our face toward Jerusalem. In prayer, we find the forgiveness for the ways we continue to meddle in brokenness, to get to get sidetracked, to get weighed down by the busyness of life. In prayer, we find clear direction for our next steps. So may our prayers lead us to set our face towards Jerusalem, to follow Jesus where he leads, and to find community through which we discover strength to live a life of discipleship. Will you pray with me? Jesus, who marched towards Jerusalem, we pray for the strength to follow you. Help us, we pray, to steer clear of brokenness and to walk with you, towards you. Help us to live as your disciples today and every day this week. Pray all of this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
Our hymn of response this morning is printed on a hymn sheet that's included in your order of worship. Oh Jesus, I have promised. As we sing, do you have a promise to make? Do you need help setting your face toward Jerusalem today? Maybe this is the place and the people you want to journey with as you seek to live life in Christ this year. Do you want to begin a real and loving relationship with Christ who showed in baptism the path to a full and spirit-filled life, who turned his face toward Jerusalem for you? Whatever your decision, I'll be down front and uh, would love to talk to you or pray with you about it. Will you please stand as we sing together? Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.